Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics, Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. A mid-May Peter King podcast as we begin to wind down toward a little bit of a break, which we'll talk about in a bit. And I'm joined, as always, by Miles Simmons, my partner at NBC Sports Pro Football Talk. And I thought this week that Miles and I would discuss a little bit of my off-season football rankings. I rank the teams in... Football Morning in America, 1 to 32. Miles will tell me where uh, I'm out of my mind. I already know a few of those places. And uh, so we'll get into that. We're also going to get into a a few other topics. One, had an interesting conversation with Brian Gutekunst of the Packers, the general manager. And we're going to discuss Green Bay's quarterback ethos. Uh, in moving on from Aaron Rodgers. In addition, we will also do uh, a segment uh, about what I found incredibly enlightening from Frank Reich about the Carolina coach, about what convinced him to, uh, to make his decision that Bryce Young should be the guy. And uh, I think you'll get a kick out of that. And uh, I'm also going to talk a little bit about and, and get Miles' input about my real pet peeve about the coaching interview process, which is that it just shouldn't uh, take place until after the Super Bowl. Uh, that is in a little bit of the headlines because obviously the Arizona Cardinals paid a price for breaking the rules and interviewing and talking to Jonathan Gannon outside of the regular parameters and they paid with uh, a 28 uh, draft slot penalty moving down in the third round with Philadelphia uh, because they broke the rules and talked at an, at an illegal time with Jonathan Gannon. So there's all that. And then I'm going to explain a little bit of why uh, I'm taking the first sort of long break of my sports writing career. Uh, For the next 11 weeks, I won't be writing the column. It'll be uh, Football Morning in America. It'll return on July 31 uh, at the start of my training camp tour. Just a few thoughts about why and how and how the fine folks at NBC were good enough to let me uh, do nothing for a while, which I appreciate. But Miles, let's... uh, Let's start off with the 1 to 32 and um yeah you know, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, just 
a couple of reasons why I do this every year and subject myself to unending uh, brickbats, tomatoes, everything thrown my way virtually. And um, I think it's easy to do a ranking of the teams if you base it totally on what happened at the end of the previous season. It's always easy to say, well, you know, that's how last season ended, so this is how this season is going to go. And this just in, it never goes that way. So I always try to pick out a couple of teams up and a couple of teams down that nobody really is expecting. And so I think that brings most of the interest, headlines, whatever, when people are responding to this column. But I'll go through a few of those. But Miles, first of all, welcome. And tell me, when you looked at this originally, what made you think that I had lost my mind? Well, I think uh, you had the first three right, at least, you know. And I think in any order, if you want to go, you know, Eagles, Chiefs, and Bengals, right? I mean, those those three teams, I think, are the top class of the NFL in whatever way that you want to do it. But Detroit, I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, I think you might have, you have them in the right tier. I don't know if you have them in the right place in the right tier, uh, maybe above some teams that I would put there. Uh, Jacksonville, you might be a little bit lower on Jacksonville than I would have thought. And then also, you definitely had Arizona right, because Arizona is just in this very, very odd place where everything should be about 2024, if not 2025, given the fact that you don't know if or when you're going to have your franchise quarterback this year. Yeah, I... uh... I think Arizona was probably the easiest pick of all of these. And all right. yeah. I I yeah, that that's who who can dispute that. And if you look at the Arizona Cardinals now with what very likely is going to be two of the top 5 picks in the 2024 draft, I think the one thing that I would do if I were Arizona if I were Monty Ossenfort, Michael Bidwill, Jonathan Gannon, I would, and again, sorry if I kind of quasi-swear, in some eyes people don't like this word, but embrace the suck, really. And because to me, when you look at the Arizona Cardinals, you know, as Daniel Jeremiah, others have said, they have the worst talent base right now in the NFL. They're going to be missing their starting quarterback for at least, you know, a month or two, probably. Kyler Murray coming back from knee surgery. So this is not going to be a good year for the Cardinals. And in so doing, honestly, let's say at the end of this year, the Arizona Cardinals decide that Kyler Murray is their guy. They're going to get solidly behind him. Well, then that means they're going to be able to get three or four huge building block uh, cornerstone players potentially uh, from trading down from that number one pick. And in addition, they'll also have another high pick from Houston, courtesy of the Willie Anderson trade. 
And so Arizona is going to be in really good shape next spring. It's just you're going to have to struggle through this year to handle it. Now, so I'll give you a couple of thoughts on, let's pick out the two teams that are probably, that probably got the most attention for being, what in the world are you doing? And, you know, let's start with Detroit. And I just think that Detroit was trending in the obvious, no doubt, right direction by the end of last season. They won eight of their last 10 games. Uh, They played exceedingly well. It was not a fluky end of the season. And Dan Campbell established this offensive ethos that we're going to be productive in the passing game, but we are going to be a 1980s New York Giants offense. We are going to be a running team. And that's that's as opposed to almost everybody else in the league. And I think even though they've lost the two dominant guys in the running game, Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift, which I still am a little curious about the Jamal Williams decision. I don't really understand it at all. But I don't think that it's going to change the way the Detroit Lions view their offense. And they also have the benefit of being in a division where the Vikings have lost an awful lot on defense. They're down. Green Bay obviously is down post Aaron Rodgers. And uh, the Chicago Bears, we don't really know what they are. They're certainly improved, but they're not better than the Detroit Lions right now. So to me, I think the Lions are should be the favorite to win that division. And so I don't really have, I, I understand you could put them nine, you maybe could put them 11, you'd put them, but the Lions, I think, are going to win a sketchy division. And by the time we get to the playoffs, I think Detroit's defense is going to be significantly uh, troublesome for teams. They played very well defensively toward the end of last year. I just, I think that you're going to see the Lions continue what they ended last season doing. Um, The Uh, one other team, I think that, go ahead, Miles, tell me your, give me your take. Well, I I think there's reason for optimism with Detroit, right? And I think one of the biggest moves that they had in the offseason is kind of one that didn't happen. And that's Ben Johnson staying there as offensive coordinator. I mean, I I think what he's done with Jared Goff to help revive his career over the last uh, year and a half, let's call it, has been really, really remarkable. And so, yeah, they, they run the ball, but they also know how to get the most out of Jared Goff. And when you don't have to switch coordinators and you don't have to switch the person who is in the quarterback's ear, I think it's significant. I mean, just look at what happened with Buffalo last year and Josh Allen, you know, they switch from Brian Dayball to Ken Dorsey. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's the only reason why Josh Allen just had more turnovers, you know, more interceptions, more fumbles, but I, I have to say that it's probably a factor. So that continuity, I think will really help Detroit get what they need to get established. I mean, yeah, they switched out running backs, 
But when you have the same play caller, you have the same QB, you're working mostly with the same offensive line, that continuity, I think, means a lot. You know, the other team that I had that, uh, you know, I thought about this quite a bit because I, as I said at the top, I always like to make sure that I don't pick it the way it was the previous year because it never goes the way it went the previous year. And I choose, and I chose Tampa Bay to take a dive. And for a few reasons, number one, uh, last year, one of the things that the Bucks failed miserably to do is to build any sort of consistent running game. And although I think Rashad White is, is a nice NFL running back, uh, I don't think he's, going to be the kind of 1,200-yard workhorse that a team that post-Tom Brady and post-throwing the ball 700 times or whatever they did last year. I just really question whether they're going to have any good fortune uh, running the ball. Um, I'm not a big Baker Mayfield believer, especially in an offense that I believe is going to get him uh, chased around a lot. And so I just, I don't know what they are on offense right now, quite honestly. Uh, I I think that they don't, I, I can't count on them to be able to do anything on offense. I think defense, they've got a lot of pieces in place to play exceedingly well at times. I think the thing that concerns me about Tampa, especially in this division, is that, you know, I like the acquisition. I like the drafting of Kalijah Kansi. And how healthy can Vita Vey stay? Because to me, I think that is that would be the strength of their defensive front. Uh, and obviously, I, I think an underrated guy on that defensive front has been Joe Tryon Shoyenka who mostly uh, has played at least to the level that he was drafted to be. So I think that is an important part of who they are defensively. You know, their linebacker core historically has been a good linebacker core. And they're going to be relied on a lot to keep scores down this year because I just don't think they're going to be able to Uh, play very well on offense. Uh, They've kept a lot of their pieces in their secondary. I think it was great that, you know, they still have, you know, Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean at the corners. So I like that. I, I have to say that I think their offense is just really going to let them down this year. And you're looking for teams that are a bit on the downswing, while the other teams in your division, I think Atlanta is markedly better. I think New Orleans is good and probably got a little bit better at quarterback uh, with Derek Carr. And I think Carolina has a very good defense. And I'm bullish, even as a rookie, on Bryce Young. So that's kind of how I view Tampa. I just think that this is going to be the continuation of a little bit, even though they won the division last year, I think it's going to be a continuation of the 
the sort of Super Bowl hangover, the eight and nine limp into the playoffs uh, and lose to Dallas. Uh, I, I just see them trending downward. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they were really trending downward last year. And, you know, there's an argument to be made that Tom Brady is basically the only one that kept that thing afloat last year. Because, I mean, like you said, Peter, they, they could not run the ball. I mean, they couldn't run the ball at all. And it was a real, real problem for them. Um, and it made their offense extremely one-dimensional. And it was just three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. And then Tom Brady does something special in the fourth quarter because that's what Tom Brady knows how to do. And he'd been doing it for 20 years. So I'm also not excited by Baker Mayfield versus Kyle Trask as a quarterback competition. I mean, generally, quarterback competitions aren't good things to have. I, I, they only the only one that kind of worked out in recent memory that I can think of is Geno Smith last year, and that just so happened that yeah. you know he had been around the team and he ended up being kind of a supernova. And we'll see if he can continue that in the coming season for Seattle and and help them um, stay afloat in the NFC West. But yeah, I, I don't see the the NFC South as a a good division. But when I look at that division, I think yeah, Tampa Bay is probably the worst team there. And they could be, if things, I mean, depending on your perspective, go right or wrong, in that Caleb Williams sweepstakes for the number one overall pick. Could and, be. you know, maybe yeah. that's what they want to do. I mean, they did it 2014, heading into 2015 with Jameis Winston. It worked out decently there. I mean, at least you got the quarterback you wanted, so we'll see. But, yeah, I mean, I don't, I would not be very excited if I were a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, unfortunately. So, Miles, I'm going to just let's do a second on three teams, uh, three different teams, and I want to hear your thoughts. So, I separated Philadelphia at the top, and I basically said, can't find a weakness. And I separated them from Kansas City and Cincinnati, at least at this moment, basically because. I think they have the best offensive line in football. And even after losing their right guard in free agency, that'll be a, a seamless transition uh, for Jeff Stoutland, the offensive line coach there and running game coordinator. And I think toward the end of last year, his numbers weren't always Mahomes-like, but I just was so impressed with everything about Jalen Hurts. And I think he will solidify himself as a top three to five quarterback in the NFL this year. I enter the season thinking that he is, that he's right up there with Mahomes right now. And he showed that in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think he's going to have a, a fantastic year with excellent offensive weapons. And, you know, the running game is going to be good enough. They've, the Eagles have proven over time you don't need a superstar in the running game. They haven't had one. Uh, they obviously let uh, Miles Sanders walk in free agency, and they said, hey, we'll pick up pieces. And obviously then they pick up DeAndre Swift, and they've got their own guys. Kenneth Gainwell's an underrated guy. Uh, Boston Scott, they have pieces that can work in the running game. And on defense, look, I say this even whether – Jalen Carter works out or not. But I just think particularly with Jordan Davis coming back healthy on that defensive front, 
it's going to be a battle for anybody to gain yards running or passing against this team. They've improved their secondary. I just think the Eagles now, they do have a hole or two that they have to figure out at linebacker, but the Eagles, like many teams in the league, believe that linebackers are interchangeable pieces, like running backs. And so we'll see if they've judged right on that score, but I I think Philadelphia now, ahead of Kansas City, uh, I, I think they, they enter the season ahead of Kansas City as the number one team in football. Well, the, the thing that helps them is being in the NFC, and there just is not the same gauntlet of quarterbacks that you have to go through in the NFC as there is in the AFC. I mean, especially with Aaron Rodgers now out of that conference and with the New York Jets. So the Eagles, in theory, should be a, a top seed in the NFC once again, not the top seed. I think, you know, San Francisco, if they didn't have the kind of quarterback questions with Brock Purdy's health, is he going to be ready for the start of the season? Is it going to be Trey Lance? Is it going to be Sam Darnold of all people starting week one? We don't know quite yet. So that's one where you're like, yeah, San Francisco, if they didn't have the quarterback question, I would probably put them right up there with the Eagles. But even though the Eagles are going to have two new coordinators, that's maybe one place where you look at them and say, "Eh, I don't know if that's exactly going to be as seamless as we think it should be. Um, But just given the way that Nick Sirianni has led that team in his first two seasons there, and given the ascent of Jalen Hurts, I I feel similarly to you that, that, that team should be kind of a class above the rest. And I think Dallas should be able to challenge them um, in the division in, in the NFC East. But I think this might be a time where we finally see for the first time, I think since 2004, somebody win the NFC East in consecutive years. <laughs> Isn't that the craziest thing? It's crazy. <clears throat> that's, that's, that's lunacy. It's lunacy. Yeah. Um, so just for those uh, who, who didn't read Football Morning in America this week, the game on I, I'll just run down run down the list. Philadelphia won two Kansas City, three Cincinnati, four San Francisco, five Buffalo, and then I had a section of five teams and called them. They're on the border: six Detroit, seven Baltimore, eight Miami, nine New York Jets. 10 Dallas. And so I could see a Dallas fan saying, why are we 10? We should be higher than 10. Well, you know, it'd be nice to win a playoff game now and then. Uh, And at some point, at some point, it's, yeah, I mean, big deal. Um, at well, some they gave, point, they gave San Fran a lot. They gave San Fran a lot that they could handle too. I, I, I can't believe I'm defending the Dallas Cowboys of all teams. But two years in a row, two years in a row, one at home, one on the road. They've lost to the 49ers in the playoffs. And again, the 49ers are a formidable team. Okay, but and if Dallas beats them, then I'm moving them up. But. Until you actually beat the best, you're not going to be the best. So I have no qualms whatsoever about picking Dallas 10. You got to win the biggest games on your schedule. And And they have not done that in this. Yeah, yeah, that would be a good idea. But anyway, then 
I have a section, and there's a team that I want to talk about in this section. If all goes right, dot, dot, dot. 11, New York Giants. 12, Seattle. 13, Jacksonville. 14, Minnesota. 15, the Chargers. 16, Pittsburgh. 17, Cleveland. 18, Tennessee. Let's talk about 17 and 18, Cleveland and Tennessee. So how do you not like Cleveland's defense? It's a formidable, formidable unit. But as of right now, as we sit here in the last two and a half calendar years, um, Deshaun Watson will enter training camp in two and a half years, having played six games. And I must call them highly mediocre games. I don't know if Deshaun Watson is what he was a few years ago. He's, he's got to prove that he is. He's got to shake off, uh, you know, everything that's happened to him. And he's got to basically prove that he's a premier quarterback. Where do you stand on Deshaun Watson, Mr. Grew Up as a Browns fan, Simmons? Uh, I, I think that you're right. I think that he needs to prove that he is the elite quarterback that we were putting in the same conversation as a Patrick Mahomes, um, you know, before the 2020 season. And uh, I think it's worth remembering in some ways that Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans were up 24 to zero on the Kansas city chiefs in the 2019 divisional round. And then things went to hell and they lost that game with 51 to 30 something, whatever the hell it was, because Kansas City ran out of fireworks, which was hilarious. And I was actually at that game and they made this uh, the announcement on the scoreboard and everybody started laughing, which is crazy because, again, they were down 24 to nothing. So we've seen Deshaun Watson display some really incredible ability, but that has not been since, you know, really 2020. And even then they were a bad team. So, yeah, I mean, Jim Schwartz should improve the Cleveland defense just by the fact that he's there, right? I mean, I think that that's a a big addition, Um, and we know that Jim Schwartz can be a very, very effective defensive coordinator, but all the questions are going to be on offense, and can Deshaun Watson take this offense that has Amari Cooper, they traded for Elijah Moore, they got Anthony Schwartz and Donovan Peoples-Jones, can he really elevate that unit into something special? I really don't know. I, I don't even know if people in Cleveland know. I mean, that front office, you, you just, you better yeah. hope that it works. I want to ask you a question about my number 18 team, the Tennessee Titans. I have absolutely no idea what to think of Tennessee. And as I said in here, huh. you know, it seems like they're a slow start from trading Derrick Henry at the deadline Uh, giving the quarterback job to Will Levis and basically playing for 2024. I just don't have a great feel that the Titans are going to be able to just turn it around quickly and win a still questionable AFC South this year. Yeah. I mean, I, I think at this point, as we sit here, the Jaguars should win that division. And the Jaguars are a team that I, I yeah. probably would have put in a, a little bit higher in the tier. I kind of think of Jacksonville a little bit like Detroit. I mean, I think that they need to do a better job of not turning the ball over. But they, they played well in Kansas City in that playoff game. It's just that 
when you have a team that, you know, is eventually going to be champions like Kansas City and they have that playoff experience, you can insert a guy like Chad Henney when you need to, and then you still go down the field and score a touchdown and, you know, keep that game where it was. So with Tennessee, I, I don't think you're wrong with, you know, if they have a slow start, things could really change and they could change kind of quickly. However, I think Mike Vrabel is such a darn good coach that a lot of times that team will play above its head a little bit. And so because of that, I, I, I can't rule out Tennessee making a decent run and being in that postseason mix. And they like Ryan Tannehill. They like what Ryan Tannehill has brought to that team. But I, I don't know if Tannehill has taken them as far as he can. And we'll see what Tim Kelly does as the offensive coordinator. That's going to be significant um, in terms of what the difference is with the offense. But, I mean, Tannehill's a fighter. Derrick Henry is still a load. He's still a monster. I don't really think that they've got anybody that scares you at receiver, which is a problem when it's Traylon Burks and, you know, Westbrook Akine and a a bunch of question marks. But, like I said, as long as they got Mike Vrabel, I mean, I I can't rule anything out. Yeah, I think that's a, that's fair. That's very fair. Um, my set, next section, they got holes. 19 Vegas, 20 New England, 21 Green Bay, 22 Atlanta, 23 Denver, 24 New Orleans. Uh, a lot of questions. Why do you have Green Bay so high? Uh, I don't know, really. I, I like that's about right. what the Packers have done outside of the quarterback position. I think they're going to be able to run the ball well enough. Kind of a weak division. I think they'll go three and three in the division and stumble to seven and ten land and either be convinced or unconvinced by the end of the year about Jordan Love. Um, 22 Atlanta, 23 Denver, 24 New Orleans. Then my under construction group, 25 Carolina. 26 Indy, 27 Washington, 28 the Rams, 29 Chicago. The Bears really confuse me because I think they could be anywhere from 31 to 13 on this list. They're a very interesting team. Uh, And if Jordan Fields or Justin Fields is a a B minus quarterback throwing the ball, they, they easily could be above 500. Uh, 30 Houston, 31 Tampa Bay, and 32 Arizona. Miles, I just think in general that it's going to be a fascinating season because I do think there's a couple of teams at the top of the hill, three teams probably at the top, that people are going to be looking to shoot at all season long and some teams that could easily unseat them in San Francisco, Buffalo, I think Detroit uh, and and clearly Aaron Rodgers and the Jets with a really good defense too if he stays healthy uh, now with Vic Fangio as defensive coordinator. It's just, I think it's going to be a real interesting season and I have no doubt in my mind that by October I'm going to be looking at this list and said, what an idiot you are. What were you thinking of? 
<laughs> yeah, probably, but we don't have the knowledge that we'll have then. I mean, I'm I'm pretty high on Miami too. I, I think the addition of Vic Fangio as a defensive coordinator is as big a transaction basically as Miami could have had. And then you add Jalen Ramsey to that defense, and he's familiar with the scheme, even though Vic Fangio wasn't the one calling it in Los Angeles. I mean, that was Brandon Staley and then Raheem Morris, and they kind of adapted um that Fangio system to what they were doing there and, and won the Super Bowl um in twenty twenty one. But I I think those two pieces are really, really huge for Miami. And, you know, if Vic Fangio, all he's got to do is coordinate that defense, man, that's that's good to have. And, yeah, Tua Tungavailoa has got to stay healthy and he's got to stay productive. But, you know, Mike White's not a bad quarterback. And I think the way that he understands that system and now he's going to have weapons like a Tyreek Hill and a Jalen Waddle. If something happens, then I, I think Mike White could step in there and, and really be productive. Miles, we're going to come back on the other side with our quick hit thoughts on Brian Gudikins, Jordan Love, Frank Reich, Bryce Young, and on the dumbest rule that the NFL currently has on the books, which absolutely unequivocally needs to be changed, and We'll talk about my decision to take the next hundred years off. And we'll do that right after this. At the theater, more than the movies come to life, movie lovers march in and skip the line with digital tickets to the latest movies on the free Fandango app. Ready to grab some snacks. Pick me! And head to the best seats in the house for a night of romance, terror, and quality family screen time. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Gold for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics, Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. So, Miles had an interesting conversation with Brian Gudikins, the Packers uh, general manager. And... I want to read you one of the things he said to me about Green Bay's belief in what should happen at the quarterback position, especially. And the answer was very much Ron Wolf, Ted Thompson-ish, because I could hear them saying exactly this. We believe in our process and how we make decisions. You never get them all right. We like to develop quarterbacks. Part of developing quarterbacks is they've got to sit for a while and then they got to play. Obviously, Jordan Love sat and Aaron Rodgers did a great job just kind of mentoring him. 
But now Jordan's ready to play. He needs to play. I think our fans kind of realize why we're doing what we're doing. So I take from that the point that three years ago, right after the draft, that right then Brian Gutekunst knew that if there was a guy who fell into their lap as they felt that Jordan Love did, they were going to pick him and then they were going to deal with all the consequences after that. These are the consequences, the kind of that they kind of felt like Aaron Rodgers had checked out, especially this offseason, but in the last couple of seasons, that he was not aggressively involved in the offseason program, which is his right. But when you have a lot of young players and young receivers, you need to be involved in the offseason program. And look at Aaron Rodgers now, totally fully invested in the Jets. At the Jets offseason program, uh, becoming a, uh, a good teammate for all the young skill players there. So I think the Packers, even though they could have lean times this year with Jordan Love, absolutely positively have done the right thing. I think so too. And I think the, the sort of diplomatic uh, part of Brian Gutekunst didn't say like, hey, we also got rid of all the stuff that comes with Aaron Rodgers that can kind of wear on you and probably wore on that organization over the last few years. So, I mean, I, I do think that Packers fans probably understand while it's sad to move on from Aaron Rodgers, this is one of these things that the organization probably just needed to do as a franchise. It's what's best for the team. Yeah, I think so too. Let's go to Carolina with Bryce Young. And sometimes when you're talking to a person with a team, a general manager, a player, coach, whoever, sometimes you just say, like I said to Frank Reich, was there one play, one thing for you that absolutely sealed the deal on Bryce Young? One play, one, one thing, one conversation with Bryce Young that you thought, okay, this is the guy. And I asked him that a few days ago on the phone, Frank Reich, and he thought for a minute and he just, you know, he hemmed hawed a little bit. And then he finally said, I, I, got, I got the thing. He goes, it happened on our 30 visit. And for those who don't know, there's these things in the NFL prior to the draft. Every team is allowed to bring in 30 draft prospects into their facility to interview them, spend time with them, put them on the board, can't practice, but can do basically anything else. And in their time with him, Thomas Brown, the offensive coordinator, the quarterback coach, uh, Josh McCown, and Frank Reich sat with Bryce Young and basically grilled him on a lot of inside football things. And there was a play that Frank Reich said was particularly uh, illustrative in making them realize that Bryce Young was a master at the, at the position of quarterback. And if you read my column, I really urge you to watch the play because we embedded coaching video in the play 
And you can see this play. And you can see why it's a pretty simple play, but you can see exactly why the Carolina Panthers fell in love with the guy. This was the 10th pass of Bryce Young's college career at Alabama. He went to Alabama and as a true freshman was the backup quarterback to Mac Jones in 2020. And he would come in in blowouts. And this was his second college game. He was 19 years old, 19 years, three months old. And he came into this game. They were killing Tennessee in Knoxville. And on his second called pass play of the day, Frank Reich, Josh McCown, Thomas Brown, they saw something that Bryce Young did, which is he totally shifted the line to cover a blitz to the quarterback's left. And he told his running back, Najee Harris, you're going to be in pass pro on this. You're going to have to pick up a blitzer. I don't know who, just be ready. And, you know, he's not telling him that in those words, but he he shifts him so that that is now his assignment. What Frank Reich was amazed at is that he said, look, if he's wrong in moving his offensive line over and pressure comes from his right, there we will be no one to pick up that pressure, no one to block him. Ball is snapped. There's four rushers that come in hard from the left. They're all neutralized by the left side of the offensive line and by a really good blitz pickup by Najee Harris. And he completes a 12-yard third down conversion pass to John Mechie uh, in the garbage time against Tennessee. And... The reason why Reich was so impressed is he said, there are guys in the NFL, quarterbacks in the NFL with the play clock running down who would just have snapped the ball and taken their chances. But here, in this particular case, what was he thought was so amazing is that in his first year, first season, true freshman year, his second college game, he's able to figure all this out. And it's one of the things over the years that I've kind of liked about Reich. He can, he can pick out moments that are moments that convince a, convince a coach and a coaching staff that some guy is the guy and that's the guy who we should be giving a chance to right now. Well, and, and who knows it better than Reich, you know? I mean, talk about somebody who's played the position, played the position very well you know, and done it at a high level and done some incredible things himself. I I think that when he says something like that and he understands exactly what that position needs um, and what it takes to excel at it, I I think that that means a lot. And so it's interesting that, you know, he made the sort of comparisons that he made um, when he talked about the names that he did. And these are these high, high high-end names that got drafted really high, the Peyton Mannings of the world, the Andrew Lux. And then you talk about Bryce Young, and it's if Bryce Young had that size, you know, then that's the kind of quarterback that we would kind of be comparing him to. But it's he doesn't, right? And he doesn't necessarily have the strongest arm. But when you have that kind of processing power or whatever you want to call it, you know, when you have that understanding of football and that savvy and the protection savvy that you even had as a 19 year old, I think that it makes sense as to why you would be encouraged 
Um, if you are a Carolina Panthers fan and you've got this guy in as your quarterback and you've got the support around him that they do. And I mean, I mentioned Frank Reich, obviously, but Thomas Brown, really good offensive mind with the Los Angeles Rams. Now there, Josh McCown played quarterback for years and years and years. Jim Caldwell, another guy that's on that staff. There's reason to feel good about the Panthers because they have all yeah. of that support around your number one picket QB and they should have a really good defense coached by Yajiro Evero as their coordinator too. So they're, they're, I, I wouldn't be stunned as I sit here right now, if Carolina ends up winning the NFC South this year, because that division's not very good. Me either. Me either. I think that's, I think it's a fascinating division. Uh, yeah. I really like Atlanta and their explosiveness on offense. I think it's going to be really interesting. Um, so, Miles, I, I wrote a little bit this week about something that has always been a pet peeve, actually, that Mike Florio and I discussed on his show last week. And it's sort of gotten lost because the NFL tried to bury it, which is the penalty imposed on the Arizona Cardinals for an illicit conversation during the playoffs at a forbidden time between Arizona GM Monte Asenfort and Philadelphia defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon, which the reason why they have these windows set up the way they are is to set up rules so it's not exactly the Wild West during the postseason. However, the fact that this happened coupled with the fact that, in my opinion, one of the most egregious things I've ever seen, uh, and, and again, this is not in any way meant to be a criticism of Dan Quinn, okay, the Dallas defensive coordinator. But I'm going to describe to you what basically flew me into orbit last year when it happened. So the Dallas Cowboys played a Monday night playoff game in Tampa and won the playoff game. And their reward for was you get back at 4 o'clock in the morning on Tuesday and then you have to prepare to face a team that you haven't played this year with a quarterback that you've never played before in Brock Purdy. So you have to do that all the while doing it on a short week and getting on an airplane late in the week and flying three hours to get to the game. So with all that done, okay, the other thing about this that I thought was just crazy is that Dan Quinn had three head coaching interviews, including what I was told with the Indianapolis Colts was one that lasted six hours. And so my only question is, who in the world would think it's a good idea on a short week playing the biggest game of your season for your defensive coordinator to be involved for all of those hours, and not only to be involved in those hours, but also thinking about it, planning, you know, what am I going to say to Chris Ballard and Jim Ursay to make them hire me? What, you know, mm -hmm. all that stuff. The mental gymnastics that you have to go through. And I just think teams should not be able to interview coaches until after the Super Bowl. It had solved this dilemma for everybody. And then everyone at 10 o'clock in the morning on the day after the Super Bowl or at noon or whatever it is, would everybody would be on the same footing. 
and you would be able to then go interview and potentially hire a head coach. Yeah, it, it'd be one thing if it's one interview, right? And all you got to worry about is, okay, well, I got to know this team's personnel and it's this and it's that. But when it's three different teams, that's a lot. I mean, it's just, I mean, you know, think about any job interview you've ever had. You, you think about that job interview a lot when you are trying to prepare yourself for it and you're trying to put your best foot forward for it. So, yeah, it, it certainly is not an ideal situation. And I think that it would change the course of the offseason a lot if um, teams were not able to do that until after the Super Bowl. But I think that that's fine. You know, we don't just do things because we've always done them. Sometimes we need to ch make a change. And I think that this is one where it's pretty clear, you know, if you want the teams to have the best chance of getting the best coach and not be impacted by timelines and all these different kinds of things, because sometimes teams want to get this thing done in January. So you have the opportunity to set a staff and all that if you just make it so that everybody is on equal footing that they can't start until after the Super Bowl, I, I think it would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, we'll see if the league does anything, but I think it's long past time Doubt it. that the competition committee strongly recommends a change in these rules. Okay. We're going to end the pod today with me uh, talking a little bit about me and talking a little bit about why I have decided to take some time off before training camp begins. I'll still do a couple more podcasts uh, in the next week or so. Um, I hope to do a podcast this week when the schedule comes out uh, with some NFL officials who were there to set the schedule. So I hope to be able to do that. I'm still waiting to hear from the league, but if so... We'll put it out as an instant podcast uh, this Thursday night, May 11. So check back. I'll tweet out the link to it, but check back to it for it. Um, and then there will be one final podcast uh, next week, uh, dur you know, during the week. And then that'll be it. So and I'm not going to do my column until July 31. And I'm not going to have guest columns. And so for many of you who get used to looking on Monday morning every week of the year, even in the off season, I apologize for that. But I just simply felt like the off season columns after the draft have been more and more over the years have just gotten to be difficult for me to really be into. I wouldn't quite call them drudgery, but it's just something that I feel, and I felt it a long time ago um, when I was at Sports Illustrated and uh, founded this microsite called the MMQB, which was all things NFL. We had a staff of uh, five full-time people at the time and six full-time people, excuse me. We had a staff of six, and I told our bosses when we were trying to decide if we were going to do this, I said, and I'd really like maybe around <clears throat> May 20th, maybe Memorial Day weekend, just put the column, put the website on hiatus until, say, July 15 and then start it up again. And they said, no, we can't do that. You've got to keep it going because you don't want people to get used to not looking for 
you know, the stories on your site. And what happened then is that a lot of people did not get anywhere close to a full complement of time off. Um, you know, there were a couple of years there where I never had a day, not one single day that I wasn't checking the site, talking to people, whatever. So I'd be on vacation. I was doing it. And I kind of formed this thing that this is not the right way to live. It's just not healthy. And so this year I talked to people at NBC and I said, hey, listen, if, if it were all the same to me, I would love it if I could just write right after the draft and then that's it until uh, training camp starts. And so, and a bunch of people have asked, well, what about the guest columns, the replacement columns? You could do that. And honestly, most of those columns require nearly as much or as much work as my, me just writing the columns because you get a first draft in, you might edit it, you might talk to the person, you might do this, you might, some PR guy might be writing it. So in his, uh, uh, you know, voice, say a coach or a player. So you've, you've got to expend a lot of energy doing that. And I said, it's just, I, I might as well just keep writing the column. So anyway, that's the reason why I did it. Uh, I'm fine. I'm wonderful. Uh, I'm not, you know, sick of this job or anything like that. I just thought that at this time of year, I'd rather be doing other things. And so I am going to be doing other things, grandchildren things. I'm going to the West Coast this weekend to see my uh, daughter graduate from, one of my daughters graduate from grad school in California. I'm going to spend some time with grandchildren, going to visit relatives in Pittsburgh, all this stuff. And I'm going to do it without having the knot in my stomach that at noon on Sunday, hey, you got to buckle down and get this column done now. So that's a brief explanation why. And uh, Miles, I'm going to miss our pods, but I'll be happy when they uh, restart in early August. And that's my story. I think that you have uh, very well earned some time off in what is the off season. So enjoy it. Enjoy the hell out of it, Peter. Like I said, you earned it. And we'll be back for season 40 for you, man. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun. I still love doing it. Training camp trip is probably my favorite time of the year because you're, you're seeing everybody and it's not just quick hits. You're spending an hour with a coach that you never get to do during the season. And right. you're spending a half hour with the quarterback. And so anyway, that'll be fun. I look forward to that. And listen, thanks to all of you for listening, reading, experiencing, and thanks for following me from Sports Illustrated to NBC. NBC has been a great, great home for me. I'm really lucky to have so many good people to support me over here at NBC. So that's it for this week's episode. Thanks very much for uh, uh, either listening, watching, experiencing somehow. We'll be back at least one more time this spring and hopefully twice so we can give you some pretty good insight on the making of the NFL schedule. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you down the road 
for another Peter King podcast or two. Have a great week, everybody.